Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job and we're going to read from verse uh, chapter 38, starting to read at verse 22. So chapter 38, verse 22. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouse of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm of water? A land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up... Can you set up God dominion, God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are, who endowed the heart with the wisdom or gave understanding to the mind. Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thickets, who provides food for the ravens when its young cry out to God and wonder about the lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats gave birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labour pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes, gave him the wastelands as his home, the salt flats as his habitat? He laughs at the common in the town. He doesn't hear a driver's shout. He ranges the hills for his pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will you stay? Will he stay by your manger at night? Can you hold him to the furrow with a harness? Will he till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on him for his great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to him? Can you trust him to bring in your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare with the pinions and the feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sun, unmindful of a, that a foot might crush them, that some wild animal might trample them. 
she treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not, for her labour was in vain. For God didn't endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and the rider. Let's just pray before we look at those words together. Our Father, we thank you again for this, your word. Thank you that we can gather around it in this way with the freedom that we have. And we pray that you might speak to us and teach us as we continue in your presence and look at this passage together. And in the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Well, we looked last week and we reached the, the sort of conclusion that Job is Job and God is God. And we don't have all the answers because it's God's will that we don't. And here's our father. We are his children. And yet he loves us. You know, on certain occasions as people, it's important that we know our place in the order of society. Now, I've never performed a surgical operation. I've never sat as a judge in the law courts. I've never captained an ocean-going liner or piloted a Boeing 747. So who am I to tell any one of these people how they should do the things that they are equipped to do? But how much more important it is that we know our place in the order of God's creation as we stand in the presence of God. And this is where Job is at the moment. He's standing in the presence of God. God is speaking to him. And these words that God speaks humble Job. As Job sees unfolding before him what he knows to be the majesty of God. As he, he is led by the Lord to see it in the light of who he knows God is. And he's seeing that there's a bigger gap between who Job is and who God is. But there's also a closer relationship, a nearer distance between them than Job could ever hope for. You see, the Lord is not the Lord is not only fully aware of what's happening to Job, he's actually also with Job and he's also in control of Job's situation. Now, as we've already said, we don't have all the answers because it's God's will that we don't. But he is our father. And we, like Job, are his children. And he loves us. If we are his children, then he is our father. And he does love us. Let's go to a verse in Romans, or a couple of verses in Romans, Romans chapter 8. And I'll just read to you a verse... 14 through to 16. This is what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's good, isn't it? By him we cry, Abba, Father. Then it goes on, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, 
then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Now look, this passage doesn't limit who God is. But what it does do, it amplifies the privilege that we have to be known as his children and to be able to call him our father. And then this reminds us of the words of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 9. And this is what Jesus said. He said, this then is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We've got these two things here together. Our Father in heaven. That's the relationship we have with him. But here's the big difference between us. He is holy. Hallowed be your name. Now, with these in mind, let's remind ourselves of what God has said to Job in the previous section of this book that we looked at. That's um, 38 verses 1 through to 21. So just a, a short breakdown here. Uh, verse, chapter 38, verse 1 to 3, God is saying, who are you, Job? And then in verse 4 through to 7, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, when I measured its dimensions when I put in its footings and its cornerstone. And then he goes on to say, Job, did you witness the joy of creation as, as the, the sons of God did? Then in verse 8 through to 11 of 38, we saw this. God saying, who was it who shut up the sea, made the clouds and fixed their limits? And yes, there is evil in the world. So we're being introduced to this and Job is being introduced this as God speaks to him then we move to verse 12 through to 15 again in chapter 38 God is saying you know have you ever given orders to the morning have you shaped the earth or have you ever denied the wicked the light evil is there but evil will be destroyed then in 38 verse 16 through to 21 he's saying have you journeyed beyond the boundaries of the earth and seen the darkness of the darkest place you see what the Lord is saying? He's saying, I know all about death. I know what is beyond death. I know the things that Job you don't know about, but I want you to know that I am in control. So for this evening, let's hear what God has to say. This is verse 22 through to 24 in Job 38. And God is telling Job that he has made preparation for times of trouble. So, verse 22 to 24. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouse of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? You know, we, we can see what God is saying here in passages such as Joshua 10, verse 11. This is what we read, and this was during a battle. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Horon to Ezekiah, the Lord had held large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. And then... When God freed his people from Egypt, he showed his presence again with the weather. 
Exodus 9, verse 18 through to 26. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. And then we see a similar thing in Isaiah, where the Lord revealed his sovereignty to the people of Israel. This is Isaiah 30, verse 30. The Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire, with cloud bursts, thunderstorms and hail. I've got to fully understand this because this doesn't mean that every snowstorm, every heavy downpour of rain is sent as judgment from God. But it does mean that they are there at his disposal if he should choose to use them in this way, as he did in the three passages we've just looked at from Joshua, Exodus and Isaiah. So let's go on to verse 25 of 27 in this chapter 38. In contrast, Job is told that these same elements also bring life to the earth. So he says this, Who cuts a channel for the torrent of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water the land where no one lives and uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? You know, this is the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent God, the ultimately powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God who is speaking to Job. Job, who is a mortal man of limited years between his birth and his death, which reminds us of what God said to Job in 38 verse 21. He said this, Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. To which Job would have to answer, No, I don't know these things because I was not born before you put them into order. You see, that could be almost a little bit of sarcasm from God there. You know, surely you know, Job, you were already born, weren't you? You've lived so many years. And Job has to say, well, no, I haven't lived all those years and I don't know. And then we go down to Job, uh, verse 28 through to 30. And Job is now saying, well, in that case, Job, think about this. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. See, all these things are coming from God. And God is saying to Job, You as a man, can you control the weather? Or will the weather obey your will? Job will have to say to it, and he says it inwardly, he doesn't have to answer God, he, he, he sees the, the, the truth of this, he says, no, but I know that you can. He is Job, and God is God. Let's just stop for a moment, 
And this is what God is saying to Job. Stop for a moment. Think about the water. Think about the water in its many forms. The dew and the rain. Both to help the crops grow. But also the rain can bring disaster when it floods. What about the frost? You know that frost that will come and do many good things. But it can also kill some of the plants. And what about the ice that can cause so many problems when it's there, but as it melts it can become life-giving streams of water? Now Job, while you're looking up at the sky where the rain comes from, look beyond the clouds. And in verse 31 to 33, God is saying to Job, look, I am also in control of the heavens. So he says, can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? What are these verses saying? Well, God is saying to Job, look, Job, think about this. Can you as a man control the starry skies so that they will obey your will? And Job can only come to, to, to one answer. No, I, I, I can't. But Job is saying, but I know that you can. Because you are God. And then the Lord brings Job back to earth as he reminds him of Job's limitations as a mere man. This is not to belittle Job. God is not doing this. God is very gentle with Job here. God is... Caring for Job in a loving way. You see, these rhetorical questions, they're not there to be little. They are designed to help the listener to see the obvious and to see it for themselves, to reach their own conclusion. The only answer can be the answer that will come into Job's head as he listens to Job speak. That's what a rhetorical question is. Can you as a man control the starry skies? Can you make them obey your will? And then the Lord brings Job back to earth as he reminds him of the limitations as a mere man. So verse 34 to 38. God is in control of all the elements. Job, can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do, you re do they report to you and say, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the cockerel understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Job. Can you control these things? And Job's inward answer to God is, No, you know that I can't. But I know that you can. And I can see that. So we continue into verse 39 through to 41. And Job, even the control that you have over wildlife is limited. Verse 39, do you hunt the prey of the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket, 
Who provides food for the raven when it's young, cry out to God and wonder about, wonder about for the lack of food? You know, man's control over the animals is limited. He does have some control, and that control he has is God-given. And we need to go back to Genesis to see this. Genesis 1 verse 28, in the days of creation, this is what we read. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, it was the Lord who gave mankind the authority to be able to do this. And when we come into the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 2 verse 19 to 20, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. You see, it was the Lord who gave mankind the ability and the permission to do this. So when we come to chapter 39 of Job, let me just read verse 1 through to 4. Because even the wild animals are held in God's hands. So God can quite rightly say to Job, Do you know where the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears have fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. You see, man's ability cannot go beyond what God has given him. And we see that again in verse 5 through to 12. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the common in the town. It doesn't bear a driver's, hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it for the fur to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? Job is a farmer and he knows all about the domesticated animals. But not all animals are domesticated. And those that are, are beyond man's control, but they are still under God's control. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to consider this point again, but just for this evening, as we draw towards a close, let's finish by taking a look at this strange and comical uh, bird, this ostrich. Listen to what? God says about the ostrich you see what he's saying is look my will is unique and it goes beyond your understanding I was thinking about this word 
unique, and I went to the dictionary, and unique means, this is what it means, being the only one of its kind unlike anything else. So God is unique. He's the only one of his kind, and he is unlike anything or anyone else. And what he does is sometimes beyond our understanding, and we see this in the ostrich. So Job, uh, God gives Job a description here of the ostrich. Job will know this uh, as we do. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. You see, the ostrich has wings, but it can't fly. Verse 14, she lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand. Unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal might trample on them, she treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain. For God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. Now, we'll consider this again in relation to the verse we looked at before and the verses that follow. But just for this evening, I want us to think about this apparent foolishness of the ostrich. You see, the ostrich is seen as being a foolish bird, a bird who's got wings but can't fly, who, who doesn't build a nest, who just lays its eggs anywhere so that the sand can hatch them out, but wild animals and other people can crush them when they walk across them. This is apparent foolishness. During Job's time of suffering, Job was right to believe that it was the Lord who was allowing this to happen to him. And he was right to know that he was not suffering for some unforgiven sin that he'd committed, as his friends had assumed that he was. However, Job is wrong in thinking that God had deserted him. Job was wrong in thinking that God didn't care for him. And he was wrong in thinking that the darkness that had come into his life was chaotic and beyond reason. He's thinking, what is the reason and where is the wisdom in all of this that's happening to him? We know that Job, in his agonies, does not curse God. But in his confusion, he does come up with some wrong conclusions about God. In Job's opinion, what's happening to him is nothing short of foolishness. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't make any sense. Now, the reality is that if we were in Job's position, I think that we would be prone to feel the same way that he does. So in the light of this, I, I want us to finish with a passage from 1 Corinthians, a passage that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Well, let's consider these words as we close this evening. You see, as the Lord spoke by asking rhetorical questions with regards to Job's suffering, so through the words of Paul, the Lord speaks to us about the sufferings of his son, Jesus, telling us what people will think about it. The fact that he had to die, 
on a cross. Listen to these words. It's actually 1 Corinthians 18, verse 25, and maybe later you'll like to sit down and just read them through again in relation to what we've just been looking at. But listen to this. I'm just going to read you through verse 18 through to 25 and let the words speak for themselves. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jew and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And you know, we can see all these things in this passage as we look at the life of Job and as we hear the words of God, as God speaks directly to Job in a loving and a caring way, in a way that he might understand, not necessarily know the reasons why, but understand who God is. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you again for this short time we've spent around your word. But we ask your continued blessing upon us, those of us who know you as Saviour. We thank you for the wisdom of God. But our Father, there may be some who are listening to this who still think that it's foolishness foolishness as to why God would have to come to this sin-cursed world, why he would come as a man, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, and then be rejected and be executed by the ones who he had created. But our Father, this is not foolishness. This has purpose. This has meaning. And it's all to your glory and to our blessing. So our Father, help us to understand these things as we gather in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.